All right. Hey, good day to everybody here watching online. I want to welcome you and welcome to all of you that are in any of our uh, six locations. We're, like, we're just so glad and delighted that you're here. My name is Matt, one of the pastors on our team. And man, it is a great time to, to be the church as we're launching out into our Serve the City uh, initiative. At last count, we had an estimate roughly 1,000 people signed up to show up. And, and if you didn't sign up, you can still show up. So just want to encourage you to continue to pray for that and to go and, and give a little time, show a little bit of the love of Christ and uh, that our church is here and we're here for people and we're here for our, our cities, for our communities where God has sovereignly and strategically placed us. Uh, so we're continuing our summer series called Dangerous Prayers and we're going to get to this dangerous prayer. But before we do that, I don't know if anybody's ever, I mean, all of us have probably had this experience where somebody kind of brings out old pictures and says, hey, you remember, and how many, and, and you start remembering and you put pictures up in your home that are significant Hey, you remember when this happened? And, and we just, pictures help remind us. And so I just have this picture. This is my boys, right? So Amazon has this thing that on, when you open an Amazon app, if everything's all synced and linked, uh, like on certain days, it'll, sh hey, memory from the past. This is the first picture we ever got our boys. This is outside an orphanage in Ethiopia. And Beth and I got this phone call and we're about to send you pictures and, of your boys. And I remember we were in Brainerd, uh, the Brainerd area of Chattanooga. We pulled off in the parking lot of this Methodist church. It was in the evening. And, uh, and we, we saw for the first time Iyasu and, uh, and Abraham, right? And so that was, uh, you know, we've been waiting, praying, working for 16, 17 months for this day. And here it is. So you know, it's a memory, and now he's going into ninth grade, and he's going into sixth grade, and I feel a lot older, right? Uh, <clears throat> but when you, when you just, all of us understand the importance of remembering. It's, it's why we talk about anniversaries. It's why we talk about birthdays. It, it, this, this notion of, of if even with your friends, you have these conversations. How many conversations begin with, hey, you remember when? Hey, you remember that time? In fact, like if you're watching online, you can just shoot it like, hey, you remember this time? And you just give us something that, that's special to you in your past. But we all understand the importance of remembering because the opposite is when we forget or ignore or, or overlook what we forget, we start to neglect and we start to minimize, right? I mean, if you forget an anniversary, how, how does your spouse interpret that, right? And so if you forget something, it, it just shows something, right? And so there's this importance that we find to remembering, and this is not just because we're human beings and we are meaning and memory makers. This is part of who God is and how God works. So there's this story in Scripture that we're going to get our dangerous prayer from for this weekend. And it comes, this story about this guy named Jacob in the book of Genesis. So if you have your Bibles, you turn them on, you can open them up. You're certainly welcome to follow along with me. We're going to be in Genesis 35.1. And God is going to instruct Jacob to do something related to memory. And, and listen, here, here's my hope and prayer. i just tell you how I've been praying uh, for, this, for this weekend. That I think there's some of us here today, probably most of us, including myself, and we might have forgotten something that God really wants us to remember. And so I'm, I'm inviting you, inviting God, the Holy Spirit, to speak through this text and to see ourselves through this text because I, I really think as we're moving forward in faith, as we believe in the best is yet to come, 
There's a lot of us who need to remember something, something special, something significant, and then why that's so important for the future that God has for us. So let's open our minds, open our hearts, and open God's Word. So Genesis 35, 1, it says this. God says to this guy named Jacob, and he's in this town called Shechem. He says, get up and go to Bethel and settle there. Now, Bethel is a place of significance. It comes up in Genesis 28. It's a place of significance in Jacob's life. I mean, a lot of people have heard of Jacob's ladder. That's, Jacob's ladder occurred in Genesis 28 in this place called Bethel. So God is inviting Jacob to physically go back to a place in his past for a, for a significant something, to remember something. It's sort of like, hey, we went back to where we had our anniversary or we went to the restaurant where we had our first date or we, this picture reminds us of that time at that place in that moment, all that kind of stuff. So God's saying, hey, go back to Bethel and settle down there, stay there, hang out there. And then God says, hey, I want you to build an altar. I want you to build a, a significant memento, a significant marker there to the God who appeared to you. So something happened there. God appeared to him, something in the past that God wants Jacob to remember. When you fled from your brother Esau. And, and this is insightful because God met Jacob in the midst of Jacob doing some really manipulative stuff, some sinful stuff, some scheming stuff, sort of directed at, it, directed at his brother. He and his brother had, had now, then had differences and they disagreed. So there's pain involved and there's a problem that was involved. And God is still saying, go back, which is significant, right? Because some of us, when we look back at our past, we're like, I don't want to remember that. You know, I'm trying to overlook that. I'm trying to forget that. And we minimize that. And we don't realize that sometimes or all the time our past affects the present. And so God is inviting him to go back to a special place of spiritual significance that includes some scars, that includes some sins, that includes some pain in the relationship he had with his brother. So this tells me through the word of God a couple of things. God often works through what we'll just call the grace. God works through grace, gives us what we don't deserve. God works through the grace of remembering. So, you know, people all the time are like, hey, Matt, how do I hear from God? How do I experience God? How, how is God going to talk to me? How is God going to work in my life? There's many ways he does it and many ways he can do it. He's God. But one of the most powerful, potent ways that God works is through the grace of, hey, I want you to go back and remember something. I want you to go back to Bethel. And we're going to talk this weekend that, that many of us here today have a Bethel that we need to go back to. And there's a significant reason God wants to call us back there. One of those we see. He says, I want you to go back to Bethel and settle there. We're going to build your future from your past. So, tells me second thing. God wants us to get to a great future from something, something in our past. And no matter what that past includes. Because I know there's a lot of people here today, and you feel disqualified from God's best because of something from your past. Or you feel enslaved, burdened, damaged goods because of something from your past. Again, I invite you to, to work to see yourself in the story of God as God speaks to us through this. 
Jacob had a painful past. Jacob and his brother had problems. Jacob sinned against his brother. Jacob had things in his past that he didn't want to look at or go back to because they weren't pleasant. And yet God takes him back there, calls him back there, because God, no matter what your past is, wants to use your past to help form, shape, and propel you into the future that he has for you. And that is true no matter where you've come from, no matter what you've done, no matter what bags you're carrying. And let's believe that on the authority of God's word. Now, here's the question I want us to wrestle with from the text, okay? How did Jacob get to this spot in Genesis 35 where God had to call him back to a place of significance that is, is in our Bibles marked as Genesis 28, this place called Bethel? What happened in the in-between? And what happened in the in-between tells us something about why it's so important that we remember Mark and build altars at our own Bethels. So let, let me give you a quick overview of what happened, okay? So in Genesis 31, 13, we learn something. We learn that Jacob should never have been where he was in Genesis 35. He should never have been at that place called Shechem. He should have already been at Bethel. So we see Jacob is actually in a place of what we might call disobedience. God hadn't given up on him. In fact, God meets him in the place he's not supposed to be. What does that tell us about God? That's amazing that God will meet me in the very places I'm not supposed to be. Because he has something better for me than where I am when I'm not where I'm supposed to be. That's amazing, right? That's why we sing that song, Amazing Grace. Right? How sweet the sound. And so Jacob is somewhere he never should have been. So remembering has something to do with arresting us, awakening us out of a state of disobedience to God or settling for less than God's best for us. So that, that, that's, that's the first thing I see. Then we go to Genesis 34. Genesis 34, Jacob's family is a mess. He has a sister, or excuse me, a daughter and, who's raped, and, and, J, and Jacob's two, two of Jacob's sons want to enact revenge, and so there's murder, and there's bloodshed, and it's nasty. I mean, it's like a, a rated R for violence chapter in the Bible. And in Genesis 34, God's name is not mentioned one single time. In Genesis 35, God's name or something associated with God's name is mentioned at least 20 plus times. So what happened is Jacob and his world had sort of forgotten God or at least lost focus upon God. Let me give you an example from Genesis 34. Listen, an example of Jacob's self-focus. So, his bro- so Jacob's two sons, this bloodshed, this violence, this murder, and look at why Jacob's upset. Here's what he says. Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have ruined me. You have made me stink among all the people of this land, among all the Canaanites and the Perizzites. We are so few that they will join forces and crush us. I will be ruined and my entire household will be wiped out. So Jacob is not only in a place of disobedience, He's in a place in his life where his attention is on something other than God, and that something happens to be himself. He's become self-focused. He's concerned about self-preservation. And listen, when you are self-focused and in survival mode, you will settle for less than God's best. 
And I think a lot of us have coming through, have come through or coming through a season where we might have lost sight of God, we might have lost sight of God's best, and we have become focused on ourselves. And so might God be saying to us, let's go back to our Bethels? Maybe. So what, what, let's, let's, let's stop then. Back to the story. What happened at Bethel? What happened that was so significant? Yeah, that Jacob's ladder and all that, but what did God reveal at Bethel? So Genesis 28. God appears to Jacob. And he's standing there beside him. He says, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac, his ancestors, his forefathers. I will give you and your offspring the land on which you are lying. So this is where I'm going to grow you, bless you, prosper you, and multiply you. So this is why Jacob is disobedient when he's hanging out at Shechem when he's supposed to be back here at Bethel. He says, look, I am with you, and I'm going to watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until what I have done, what I have promised you. Now, I want you to notice that. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And then we have rebellion and we have disobedience and we have a, a, a whole chapter in the Bible where God's name is never mentioned. It's like a whole season in my life or your life when God was just absent from the story that I was trying to write for myself. But what we see is that God is faithful even when we are unfaithful to him. Again, what does that say about God? What does that say about God? I mean, so many of us are like, man, God's out to get me. God's the cop on the corner trying to catch me speeding. And the Bible paints the exact opposite. He knows we're speeding. He knows we're doing things we're not supposed to do. And he's still what? Meeting us where we are. And so in response to this revelation from God, Jacob does something. And here's what Jacob does. He said, early in the morning, he gets up and he takes the stone that's near his head and he set it up as a marker, a, a milestone moment, an, an altar moment, okay? And, and, it, and that's his Bethel, all right? And, and he pours oil on top of it, which is symbolic of setting it apart, consecrating it, making it sort of holy, Okay, and then he named the place Bethel, though previously the city was called Luz. And then Jacob made a vow. Jacob made a commitment to God. God revealed something special. God revealed something significant. And Jacob gave God a promise, a word, an act of surrender, a, a declaration of his intention. And here's the summation of that vow. He says, the Lord will be my God. He's been the God of my forefathers. He's been the God of Abraham and Isaac, the ones who came before me. But he's never really been my God. He, he's never. And so for some of us, you know, we grew up in the Bible Belt. We were drugged to church. We were made to go to confirmation. But is God your God? Or is he your parents' God? Or your grandparents' God? Oh, yeah, I'm a, I got a Christian family. There's a difference between I have a Christian family, I was raised in church, and he's my God. It's a difference. And so this stone that I have set up, Jacob says, as a marker will be God's house. And I will give to you, God, a tenth of all that you give me. He says, I'm going to tithe. I'm going to become a percentage giver because of what God revealed and, with, and what God shared and what God spread out. And, and it's just kind of crazy 
that Jacob makes this promise and Jacob makes this vow. And so Jacob is, is in this moment with God. And we see that what makes this moment special and what makes this moment significant, it's not, it's like the picture, the picture I showed of my boys, it's not that that picture is cute and that's who we, they are. It's that what that moment meant to Beth and I, what became from that moment was a movement for us to become a family. And so in this moment here at Bethel, when we have God's revelation and Jacob's vow and Jacob's response, it becomes a, a significant moment of revelation. And, and, and it becomes a significant moment of revelation of, of who God is and what God's about. And so what happens at Bethel is, we, is four things become significant to, 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 to Jacob. He learns that he cannot out God's plan for his life. He learns that he cannot outrun God's grace for his life. And he learns that God is a God who keeps his promises. And then the fourth thing is Jacob makes a vow to God. He gives God his yes. He gives God his yes, which is so important and so significant. So out of this moment of, of revelation, out of this moment of what God has done, God is inviting Jacob to come back to that moment to come back to that place, to come back to that place of significance. So let's stop for a second. Let's meet ourselves in the story. Let's meet ourselves in the story. Your Bethel, my Bethel, place of revelation is when God becomes more personal to you, where God was tangible, real, where it was, yeah, your God and my God. It's, it, it's I know that I know that I know that he is my God. So, so that, that's the first thing. Second thing is, it's a moment when you, are, when you give God, or maybe you should have given God your yes. Because see, for some of us, our Bethel is, I sh God called me, God told me, God showed me, but I said no. Some of you, your Bethel is, that's when I took this step to become this type of Christ follower. That's when I gave it over to God. That's when God came through for me. And, and your Bethel can be so many different things, but that's what happens. And so the dangerous prayer, the dangerous prayer that we would pray, the dangerous prayer that we would pray today, pray tonight, pray this weekend is, hey God, I wanna remember my place of revelation. I want to remember my Bethel. You have to go back and potentially face some disobedience. You have to go back and potentially deal with some pain. But you're going back to a place that God was crystal clear where God had become more personal. You're going back to a place where you learned that God's purpose was bigger than you, but included you. And you're going back to a place where you gave God your yes, or you know you should have given God your yes. That's why it becomes such a dangerous prayer. All right, so that's what happened at Bethel in Genesis 28. And God says, hey, I want you to remember it. I want you to go back to your Bethel. And what happens in Genesis 35 too is just the name Bethel 
and just remembering what happened in Genesis 28 propels Jacob out of the godlessness of Genesis 34 into the direction God wants to take him. Look what happens. So Jacob said to his whole family and those who were with him, all God said is go back to Bethel, get rid of the foreign gods that are among you. We got some junk in our family that's not of God. We're remembering who God is. I'm recalling God's faithfulness to me, and we're going to get rid of some junk. He says, purify yourselves. Change your clothes. Get ready. We must get up and go to Bethel, and I will build an altar, a second altar there, to the God who answered me in my day of distress. And this day of distress, here's the cool thing, weird thing, amazing, grace thing about this. That day of distress was a distress of Jacob's own making. And God's like, hey, I'm going to redeem that because I became real to you through that. And then Jacob says, what a, what a phrase. He has been with me everywhere I have gone. You know, one of my favorite things at Rockbridge are baptisms. No matter where we do them, but when we hear the stories of them. And, and we hear stories of people who were far from God. But what's amazing is when God reveals himself to them, to us, to all of us, as Savior, King, Lord, Leader, Comforter, Friend, even when, God, when they didn't believe in God, even when they weren't following God, even when they were Genesis 34, not even, God wasn't even on their radar, their testimony will say, God was with me everywhere I've been. That's Bethel. That's God's revelation of himself to his people, meeting us where we are to help propel us to where he wants us to be. And so for God, remembering can refresh, refocus, and rejuvenate us toward God and his best. Let me be real. Let me, be, let me just be a pastor for a moment. And I say this to myself too, okay? I know a lot of us are tired, are hurting. Maybe we're more bitter and cynical and suspicious than we were 15 months ago, 12 months ago, three days ago. Maybe, 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 maybe a lot of us have been going through the motions. Maybe a lot of us have been like, man, the, my recent past feels a lot like Genesis 34. God wasn't in it. And I became the center of everything. God, help us remember our Bethels. And, and, and there's, a, there's a group of you here listening online, watching in any of our six locations. Today is going to be your Bethel. When God shows you he died for you and he loves you and he has more for you. Now, let's step back from that. If these moments are so significant to our past, our present, and our future, why don't we give them the significance they, why, why do we forget our Bethels? Why, you know, at age, like, I, I can go, I was, I was going back to some Bethel moments in my life, and I, I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, 
youth retreat, Disciple Now, when I was like a senior, and man, there was an altar moment with me and Luke 14, 33. And that, my altar was to take that Bible, underline and circle Luke 14, 33. And, 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 and this week and today and, and finalizing this message, I'm like, why did I forget that? Because I, I, I've been in a little, in a little slump here. And, and I'm like, why did I forget that? Just, just a few minutes ago, a few hours ago, I was at one of our, uh, our, our Serve the City, one of our Hope Partners that's in all of our communities, Chattanooga Area Food Bank, and they had a little reception at one of their warehouses, so I went in for just a quick, and, and you know, you listen to people thanking Rockbridge for being Rockbridge, and, and why we're in our six cities, and that we're not here just to do maintenance on a building, and we're not here just to say we're here, we're not here to put a sign up, we're here to bless people in the name of Jesus Christ. And we're here to help people find Jesus Christ. And, and I'm like, why did I forget that? And, and maybe you can relate. You know, why did I forget? I mean, some of you need to go back and remember your baptism. And you're like, God, it was so real. Why do I forget that? I mean, some, some of you, you know, just need to go back and like, man, God was so real to me. In the cancer ward of a hospital. Why do I forget that? God was so real to me and to our family in my first three, four, five years of marriage. Why do I forget that? And I want to share with you why that's true, okay? There is a conflict, and I'm going to use the word weight. A better word for you might be significance. There's a conflict for the weight of what we remember. And what I mean is, you have these moments, these Bethels, these markers with God. And at the, in the moment, they're weighty, they're significant. You take a picture, you build an altar, you mark up your Bible, you write a journal, you call five of your closest friends. You're like, Let me tell you what God did to me. And then something else comes along, less significant, maybe worldly, maybe earthly, maybe fleshly, maybe sinful. I don't, and, I, and Bethel just gets put in the corner and those pictures just get filed somewhere and you know you forgot you even took them until somebody brings them out and says hey go back to your Bethel so there's a conflict going on and it's spiritual and it's Satan's involved and your pride your ego your sinfulness is involved the world out there is involved there's a conflict for the weight of what we remember in the church and the conflict can shape up along three lines First is the tyranny of the now. The tyranny of the now. And for Jacob, it started right after Genesis 28. He has a marriage or he has a, a courtship crisis, right, with some ladies and their, and, their, uh, and their dad. Some of you can relate, okay? And so the tyranny of the now. So what happens is the immediate concerns crowd out the ultimate, right? The immediate concerns pandemic, COVID, 2020, the election, you know, what they said about me on social media, whatever, right? What my boss said, God, can you believe I got the immediate crowds out the ultimate. Bethel is representative of the ultimate. Another way it shows up is delayed obedience. Genesis 31, Jacob's stuck in Shechem. He's not even supposed to be there. And what happens when we delay obedience is then disobedience becomes normal. We normalize being in a state 
or being in a place where we're just disobedient in an area or a season of our lives. It's just who we are, where we are. We normalize it. We've forgotten our Bethel. Third, we have a bad past. And who doesn't have things from their past that you'd rather forget? But you've got to heal from it and you've got to deal with it. And so, you know, Jacob's relationship with his brother is just bad. It's just bad. Both sides, bad. And so what happens then is the power of the past seems greater than the God's promise for the future. So when I stand up here as a preacher and I say, hey, the best is yet to come, some of you are like, uh-uh. I don't know what that guy's smoking. <laughs> because your past feels more powerful than God's promises, God's presence, and God's purposes. But when you remember your Bethel and you give weight to it, the reverse happens. And so, here's, here's, remember I said, call, I call this the grace of remembering. To move forward, God has us go back and remember. And it's like God says, hey, remember when? Remember when you prayed that prayer and I answered it? Boom! Not in the way you thought, but in a way that blew your mind. Remember your baptism? Re remember when you and your wife stood at the altar? Re remember when, when, you know, Luke, Matt, when you remember Luke 14, 33? And, and when God said that to me today, I was like, yeah, I do. And it becomes weighty again to help me remember and move me forward when I'm stuck emotionally, spiritually, relationally, or however else. See, by the end of Genesis 34, Jacob's stuck. But he remembers, he goes back, and look what happens. 35.9, God appeared to Jacob again after he returned. He went back, and God showed up in a palpable way. And Jacob appeared, or excuse me, God appeared to Jacob again after he returned, and God blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. You're no longer going to be called Jacob. Ever wonder how Israel became Israel? Right here. But your name will be Israel. God changes his name to create another Bethel in his, in his life. Another moment, another marker. A place that should be no retreat. We're moving forward from here. So he named him Israel. And then God says to him, he says, I am God Almighty. You went a whole season of your life where you never said my name, Genesis 34. I am God Almighty. It ain't about you, Jacob, but I'm with you and I'm for you. So you be fruitful and multiply. A nation, indeed an assembly of nations, will come from you and kings will descend from you. So he moved him back to propel him forward. And I, 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 let's, let's, let's all lean in for just a few more moments, okay? I really, really believe, and I am preaching to Matt Evans as much as I am trying to preach and teach to you. I really believe God is calling many of us, maybe all of us back to propel us forward. So here's my encouragement. Here's my application from the word of God. 
we all need to build or revisit some of our altars. A journal entry, special place, special picture, life verse. You do you, I'll do me. God's personal to all of us, right? Let me give you some, some thoughts on this. There's altar moments in our lives. They're like those pictures, right, that we, that we find on our, on our drive, on our, on our, in our cloud, or in some box somewhere. I remember when. Go back to those moments. Go back to those moments. There's altar moments in our lives. For some of us today, there's altar moments in our relationships. I know there's marriages throughout our church that are struggling. You need to go back to when you stood at that altar and you gave each other these rings. Probably all of us need to do that that are married. Remember what it means to stand before a holy God and unite and become one flesh. Some of you might be a relationship with your friend that you've neglected. Or, man, that relationship's not right because I haven't apologized. That relationship's not right because I haven't given forgiveness. Just go back to those relationships, and there's altars there. There's altar moments there. I, I think a lot of us, we need to start putting altar moments in our week. That church, and, and, and whether you gather in person or gather online in your home, church should be an altar moment when we declare who God is, remind ourselves of who God is, because throughout the week, I forget. I get paid to come to church. <laughs> so so I, I know it's hard. There's altar moments in our day. When I know that I know that I know that God's with me, God's for me, and God's speaking to me. Whether that's you need to subscribe to our time with God or our daily prayer or, or just find a time, a moment where you can build that altar and have that moment. And, and, and I say this in hesitancy, but it's in the text, so I'm going to preach it and teach it. There's altar moments with our money. I find it interesting that Jacob has this moment, this Bethel with God, and he says, I'm going to give God 10% of everything he gives me. And so, for, listen, listen, listen. So for Jacob, money was not a math problem. It was an opportunity to remember and to worship. So what if those of you who give generously, consistently, sacrificially, proportionally, what if every time you did that, it was not a math equation, it wasn't something in some Excel spreadsheet or however you manage your finances or, an, or an, just an entry in your checkbook, ledger or whatever, but it was like, hey, look at all God has given me. I'm just giving back a little bit. So, Let's build or revisit some altars. But we have to give weight to what God revealed at those and in those altar moments, which means we have to align or realign our response to God's revelation. So for Jacob, when we met, met him in Genesis 35, he is not aligned with the revelation of Bethel of Genesis 28. He has worked himself through years of disobedience and self-centeredness and rebellion and just this roller coaster of, of relationships and roller coaster of his walk with God. He has moved himself out of alignment with God. So Bethel is a time to align and realign with what God revealed about himself 
the moment I got saved, the moment of my baptism, when I got married, the birth of my first kid, in the cancer ward of the, of the hospital, et cetera, et cetera. Because your Bethel moment is not limited to when you got the raise or when they got cured or they got healed. There could be Bethel moments in funeral homes and Bethel moments in graveyards. That's when, I mean, isn't that what we celebrate as Christians, the empty tomb of Easter, right? I mean, this God can show up, reveal himself anywhere. We mark it and we align to it and we move forward in faith from it. So hear these words from Revelation. Remember how far you've fallen. Repent and do what you did at first. Right? I mean, God, he's saying, look, just remember where we were. God's saying that. Remember where we were. Repent. Change your mind. Change your direction. And just go back and do what you did when you first fell in love with me. And, and then I love Paul. This is the last letter Paul ever wrote, 2 Timothy, right before he's killed at the hands of the Roman emperor Nero. And he's writing this letter to his protege, Timothy. And one of the things he says to him, he says, hey, just remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended from David, according to my gospel, my good news. And so listen here. I'm praying right now, all of us, we remember those Bethels. I'm praying for some of you that today, this weekend, is a Bethel because God is showing you when Jesus Christ rose, he rose for you, he died for you, he offers himself to you as forgiver, as Lord, as leader. And some of you today need to say yes to Jesus, to follow him best you know how. Get baptized, become part of the church, and move forward because of his good news for you, to you, and in you, okay? So here's how we're going to close our services. We're going to sing and, and all of that. But when you leave today, we're going to give every person, every person, uh, a communion packet. And I'm, I'm sort of going to give homework, okay? I want you to go to your Bethel. That may be you just open your Bible to your life verse, that may be you just grab your family and you go to some beautiful spot that's special to you, you know, an overlook, a park, doesn't matter. You can be around your living room, it doesn't really matter. And that you in that moment would observe the Lord's Supper, which is remembering Jesus Christ risen from the dead. He's dead because he died in our place. He's descended from David He's a, and that is God's good news. Now, listen. If you're not yet a Christian, God's word would tell you it's not time for you to observe the Lord's Supper. So here's what I'd tell you to do. Put this somewhere. Your dresser, your mirror, dash of your car. And when you have your Bethel, and when you say yes to God's yes for you, you take your first communion. And you never forget. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. That's the good news. That's the great news. And that's the best news. And for all of us, that's the ultimate Bethel. Let's pray together. So Holy Spirit, we give you space. <laughs> just like a Bethel in our hearts, a Bethel in our minds. Just to be real call us back to remind us to reveal to us to show us
And God, I hope all of us can say, God, thank you for your faithfulness. God, some of us may need to repent. God, forgive me for being about me. (laughs) Forgive me for forgetting you. But you're still with us, God. You're still for us, God. And I really believe that this weekend, you're giving us all the grace of remembering. So Holy Spirit, may we hear your still small voice saying, hey, remember when? Hey, remember that time? But God, may it all culminate in us hearing you say, hey, remember when I died in your place and rose in victory to bring you into the forever family of God to make you a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And we say back to you, God, oh yeah, we remember. Thank you, God. In your name we pray. Amen.